Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with our guest, uh, Adam Rodericks. He comes to us with a background in, in marketing and a whole bunch of other things. So how are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my, my pleasure. And uh, wondering if you can share with the guests uh, or, or the audience, what are you up to these days? And then we'll go back in time and, and learn a little bit more about Adam. So what are you up to these days, Adam? Certainly. My name is Adam Rodericks. I'm the National Director of Social Growth and Experience at KPMG in Canada. I've just recorded my first ever TED Talk, which should be available later in March of 2023 on YouTube. And uh, I'm hard at work as a writer. I've just published my first book, Trigger Fingers. And uh, well, present company has definitely mentored me through that that journey. And I'm so, so grateful that it has been a bestseller in Canada. And the pleasure is mine. And for those watching on, on YouTube, you can see the uh, book right over here. And it was a nice uh, little surprise when I got a, an autographed copy. So I really appreciate that, Adam. So, but that's not necessarily why we're here, although we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But we'd love to kind of understand uh, the inner workings of Adam. Like, how did he come to be? So what was Adam like as a kid? So as, as maybe the earliest, fondest memory, what do you remember uh, Adam being like as a kid? So confident, pudgy studious, <laughs> a real rule fault. You know what? Some, some things never change. So I think a lot of those traits are things that as a, as an adult are still very much true to me. But um, these are the things that either the adults in my life at the time tell me about myself or I know to be true about myself. Sounds good. So as we kind of go back to confident, pudgy, studious, they're, well, confident and pudgy are not always synonymous. So can, no. can you walk us through like where, where that came from? Is, was that like kind of a natural thing? You, you just didn't care, that sort of thing? Uh, you're always good at, 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 uh, at studying and, and all that sort of stuff? Walk us through. Yeah, on the contrary, you know, I think um, like many kids, I, I had a lot of uh, body shaming issues that arose mm. on, the, on the playground. It's, it's true what they say, kids can be so cruel. Um, but at the same time, when I was in class, I felt so in control and that didn't stem from a natural aptitude. I wouldn't peg myself as being uh, incredibly smart, but I, I think from a very young age, it clicked for me that there was no substitute in this world for hard work. So if I put that work in, I would get results. And I'm talking about like grade two, grade three, I saw when I would do things that my classmates would not do, like study a little bit, I was getting results that they would not get. And I was like, okay, this, this seems like something I can sustain for a little while. Yeah, and, and if you don't mind, even at grade one, grade two, that because that's a very early onset to have this realization. Can you can you talk? Do you remember like the first instance? Or it's like, hey, I studied here, and then I got an A, and this person didn't, and and uh, they they got a lower grade. <laughs> this is why I like talking to you because you're you're unlocking memories. I don't know if I've ever consciously <laughs> thought about this for years, but I do know the moment. It was mm. I was out sick in the second grade. And when I came back, I, I came into that classroom with this mentality that everybody else had a leg up on me because they mm -hmm. had been to more school days than I had. So I put my head down and I just started to motor through some of the independent study assignments. And I remember by the end of the day, my teacher standing at the front saying, Adam's missed a week of school and he's somehow caught up today and passed many of you. Like, put your heads down and focus people. And I thought to myself, OK, this is this is really interesting because clearly other people are noticing that when you put your head down and you just barrel through something, great things can happen. Yeah, that's amazing. And that just goes to show the, the power of positive feedback from, from a teacher uh, that yeah. noticed it, or not necessarily a teacher, but just anyone out there. So for, for those of you who notice something good about someone else, uh, make sure you voice it because they can be the, the next Adam out there. <laughs> <laughs> 
So as we kind of walk through, well, a little past second grade, uh, walk us through a little bit about, uh, I guess, your elementary school to, to high school to, to university, kind of like the journey into marketing. Did you always have uh, an interest in marketing? What were some of the influences? Parents, mom, dad, like brothers, sisters, cousins and stuff like that. How, how did that all come to pass? Yeah, so I think I'll tackle this from the the why marketing perspective too. I was this mm. kid who essentially was always critiquing the ads on TV, even when nobody asked him to. It's like <laughs> you're just watching sitcoms with the family, and I'd be like, "But why is Coca Cola doing that?" And everyone's like, "Who's mm. even watching? Like, who cares? Like, you're 12, do something else." Um, <laughs> but I found that I was always it wasn't enough to critique. I was saying, "Well, wouldn't it have resonated better?" I mean, I didn't know the word resonate, but I'd yeah. use such words and say, "You know, wouldn't it have been better if they had done?" so on and so forth. And then finally, I think it was in the 11th grade where my business teacher was like, you got to go into marketing. <laughs> that, that's awesome. So again, an, another positive reinforcement to say, he, he identify a talent in you or, or a, a positive character trait and, and move you forward on that. And yeah. if, if you can, kind of the same thing, can you remember the time, like what was the first ad or, or the one that you can recall that, that you critiqued? Was it was it the Coca-Cola? Was it the something else? Or uh, And and how uh, has that translated to kind of your, your marketing journey so far? But what would be okay, the first Okay, so one there's this commercial. It doesn't run anymore. It was for Philadelphia cream cheese. You might remember it. There was the female <laughs> okay. angel and she has like her male angel slaves on clouds and they feed her oh, yeah. bagels. So I just remember being outraged because I was like, well, this – this would so not work if we flipped the genders. This is not okay. So I didn't feel mm -hmm. comfortable watching this. Why doesn't anybody else care about this? And I remember my parents sitting next to me and rather than explaining the nuances, they were just like, why are you as a child looking at it th through this lens, <laughs> right? Most kids tune out during a commercial of their favorite show. Here you are kind of like going deeper on ads. But I think I'm, I'm so um, grateful because it was my mom who really recognized and nurtured that perspective in me from a young age. So she was the one who always encouraged me to ask why, even mm. if it was something that was entrenched in school, something that had been taught for decades, she thought that this curiosity was so healthy. And that's probably why I tried to push as much as I did when I got to university and in the first stages of my career. That's awesome. So can you walk us through that, that 11th grade, the teacher saying, hey, you should go into marketing. Like what was the decision to pick the school, the program and all that sort of stuff? Like, did you kind of just embrace it and say, yeah, I definitely want to do marketing or eh, maybe hedge my bets and try something else. So what was the process to get from uh, high school to university like? Yeah. So I think this is a very popular misconception, especially when I talk to a lot of students too. They go, I, I don't know what to do because I don't have it all figured out. And I say, listen, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties, well into my career, and I don't have it all figured out either. <laughs> Nor did I at that point when I was on the brink of choosing a university and a program, I went into business because I knew that that was going to give me the versatility to pivot once I figured that out. Right. Like right. I felt like business was this um, a great degree to get in its own right, but also a bit of a stopgap so that I could continue to further my education while not necessarily committing to something as I would had I streamed in, in a different degree. So that was me buying a bit of time. Um, and I'm so lucky that I did find certain facets of, of business, such as marketing and advertising and branding, where I really could just sink my teeth in. But it didn't happen right away. I fell out of love with my first few jobs. Uh, sounds good. And if you walk us through kind of the decision making process, so was business like the, the de facto choice and that you were just going to gun it for that? Or is there a consideration for the typical like a doctor, a lawyer, a, accountant, engineer, that sort of thing? Was the sciences in, in, in the mix or humanities or anything like that? Or was it like, nope, straight beeline to business? Well, as uh, and I'm sure this, you'll appreciate this, but as an Indian male, there was a heavy <laughs> push towards uh, being an accountant, being a financial analyst of some sorts, a research analyst, that sort of thing. Um, jobs with, if I'm being quite honest, some prestige attached to them. 
um, yeah. all what we would call white collar jobs. Um, but for me, it was, I don't know what I want to do. And it was my drama teacher who was kind of in my ear as well in high school saying, this is a gift. And I'm not saying you need to go out and be an actor, but I'm saying that you should probably find a career wherein you are using your communication skills mm. to your advantage. And I never forgot that. And actually, um, she a story about her ends up in the book just because I needed to pay homage. But that was something <laughs> that was so important because, of course, your parents are going to guide you. But you have these other champions, whether it's at school or in sports, that also care about you. So you got to listen to everybody who's in your corner. Yeah. And I think part of it is is picking and choosing the the feedback that you get, and and sometimes the small little off comments are like, huh, quite Im impactful, and uh, you you don't appreciate it as much. So I'm glad that she got a, a little bit of airtime in in the book as well. Uh, yeah. So as as we kind of walk through the journey, so uh, the choice of of school that you picked. Uh, it, was there any like uh, rhyme or reason or just like the first one that that, that uh, responded or, or like what was the decision to, to get into a, a particular business program? Yeah, so I only looked in Ontario. The, the schools in my consideration set were the University of Toronto, York, Ryerson, which is now Toronto Metropolitan University, and yeah. the University of Western Ontario, uh, more commonly known as Western. I visited all four campuses and then ultimately my parents said, we will be able to help you out with tuition especially if you stay at home. So although I was looking at, you know, living downtown at the U of T campus, obviously you would have to if you went to Western. That was really key to me because even at, you know, that age of 17, I had some pretty lofty financial goals. Like I really wanted to be able to stand on my own two feet as soon as possible. So when I got that offer, I couldn't refuse it. So I ended up accepting uh, the business program at the University of Toronto at Scarborough. I'm Scarborough born and raised so that I could live at home during my four-year degree. Sounds good. And and I think that's probably our initial connection where we had the UT Scarborough uh, connection. Um, I think I randomly reached out because I was trying to connect with with fellow alumni there. And then obviously we just stayed in touch since since then. Um, and I love if you uh, talked us through the program and the experience. Was it uh, everything you would hope and dream that it would be? What were the bumps in, along the road or any kind of highlights uh, during the, the university process as you're trying to uh, break into the uh, working world? So what was the university career like? Uh, it was daunting. I think I came in underprepared <laughs> and I, I was just not ready for the caliber of students that the University of Toronto business has. So this was a, an incredibly humbling four years for me. Um, as I said, I never really considered myself smart, but I always had the results because I was hardworking. And then you meet a bunch of brilliant students who have the pairing. They are naturally gifted, but they also know how to work really, really hard. So by no means did I really succeed in class. And that was the first time in my life. It made me really, really insecure. But I was smart enough to at least know how to align with myself with these people. And I don't just mean copy off their homework. I mean in life. And to this day, a lot of those friendships have persisted. Some of us talk about business ventures. We do think tanks together, that sort of thing. So it's been really, really cool to learn and grow alongside them as well. That's amazing. And I'd love if you can, can go back and, and maybe highlight that, that moment where like, oh my goodness, I'm surrounded by a whole bunch of people because I'm guessing a lot of folks, a lot of students will have kind of the, the imposter syndromes, like everybody else is so amazing and great. And uh, they probably have a similar type of experience. How is there a specific time where you remember that, that you, you uh, started to cope with it or, or some of the things that you did in order to, to align yourself with these uh, friends that, that you were making? Yeah. Um, and this is a cringy story, but I, I know you'll you'll <laughs> allow me to tell it. But in uh, in first year, I was absolutely enamored with this um, Chinese girl okay. and I was doing whatever I could. We took the same classes. We'd study together. 
and she invited me to the Chinese Management Association. And I, of course, was like, I can't go there. I'm an Indian man. What the heck? But they were so inclusive. And one of the things that they did was they would run speaking competitions, case study competitions. And it was there that she brought me. And I was really just there for her. But of course, by virtue of being in the club, you had to compete. And I competed in my first public speaking competition and Mm -hmm. I won. So that was my coping in the sense that I realized everybody brings their own skills to the table. And even though I probably can't compete on corporate finance and cost accounting, I was really good at bringing presentations to life. So that was when I started to really just think about how can I lean into the skill set? And I contrast that against right now today where I'm a public speaker by trade. And it's like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much to this girl who broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's amazing. So I, I guess there is a... Um, uh right side to the to the ending of that but what i took from that is, is really uh identifying give yourself an opportunity and then and then identify those strengths and start honing on them because if if you can double down your strengths instead of uh trying to elevate your weaknesses now your weaknesses you want to make sure that they're they're not a problem uh but it's often the strengths that that carry you forward so uh, i'd love if you talk a bit about kind of the the career and working experience so how did you start transitioning from the school side into the the, the working world Yeah. So when I started at work, I went from U of T finishing a final exam on a Friday to working at a major bank in direct mail on a Monday. And I thought just because it had marketing in the title, it was going to be perfect for me. And the job was quite literally stuffing envelopes with changes to your interest rates and sending those out to tens of thousands of customers. It was monotonous. (laughs) There was nothing that was digital about it, even remotely. And after a year, I I basically threw in the towel and went, if this is what marketing is, I've made a grave mistake. Um, But in many ways, I kind of see it as synonymous with dating in the sense that even when you go on a bad date, you can still learn from that experience things that you don't want and things that you do want. It's not wasted Mm -hmm. time. So I carried that forward in my career and realized I need something a little bit more fast paced, something more dynamic. Hey, there's this thing called digital marketing. Maybe I should give that a go. That's awesome. I'm, I'm reminded of the quote, uh, never lose, win or learn. Uh, it seems like mm-hmm. that that uh, stuffing envelopes, that's not the, <laughs> the most uh, glamorous job at all. But yeah. at least you were able to learn from that. And I love yeah. it. You kind of went back a little bit and said and, and talked yeah. to us, how did you land a job? Because that first job out of university is often the hardest. And it seems like you had one waiting for you uh, after after exams. So how, how was that process like? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'll, again, I'll approach this from the, the why. So the why is I was not in a co-op program at the University of Toronto. Mm-hmm. I was adjacent to one. So what I did was I modeled all of the behavior of those who were at the top of our class doing the things that they needed to do. What I mean is when they started in their second last semester through the program formally pitching, I said, well, timeline wise, I should be doing this too. I'm on the same track to graduate. So I used what they were doing uh, that was kind of set out as their path really early, but also again, no substitute in this world for hard work. So I hit the pavement. I looked at pretty much anything that I thought I was qualified for within the realm of marketing and communications. And I don't even think that I, I, I spread my wings too far and took a job that I wasn't ready for or right for. I think given my limited knowledge from the classroom at that time, absolutely, you know, I accepted something that I thought would be good. And it's totally okay when you are, you know, you stand corrected because you jump into a job and you realize, okay, this isn't exactly what I want to do in my life. That's awesome. So from from that, it's uh, finding people who you aspire to be like and, and models there and the more that you can take from them and, and the cues around them. If they're doing good things, then you should probably do the same good things. And obviously, you yeah. need to still put in the work for it would, would be would be helpful. 
Um, and I love that you walked us through that transition from stuff and envelopes <laughs> to yeah. the digital marketing side. What was that for you? Because did they teach you much of that or how did you get into that? Because uh, I, I don't know how much of it they, they taught at school during the time or how much did you have to learn on your own in order to break into that side of it? No, I mean, and it's such a testament to what you're saying, too, is that we had a class and it was called online marketing, which is such a funny term now because it's like, well, most marketing is online marketing, right? You, would, <laughs> yeah. you probably wouldn't call a course that anymore. Um, but I don't think that a lot of it was was being taught. Uh, I think a lot of it was the fundamentals, right? So we learned things such as how to create a really good and succinct creative brief. That, that's mm-hmm. something that from U of T has followed me throughout my career. When I, when I still to this day write briefs, people say, wow, that's very punchy, very, very much like how I need that information in a short but uh, very descriptive format. And I go, thanks, U of T, right? So that's what they gave me. <laughs> um, and when it got to digital, I think a lot of different facets of digital especially social media, which is where I got my start, my come up, they were really in their infancy. A lot of companies were navigating these business conundrums from a digital marketing perspective for the very first time. So I had the benefit of also getting into something. And this is, I guess, you know, why you could advocate for startups or smaller organizations as well, when I could really be a doer, get my hands wet and kind of just do things that had never been done before. So there was no template for success within the organization either. Sounds good. So it seems like it's a running theme where it's it's put in the work is, is a lot of yeah. it. And don't be afraid to kind of get dirty, especially if it's something new, because uh, if it's new, then most people don't know what it is. So that's kind of the best place to make mistakes because nobody else knows it. Uh, so I, I'm doing the best that, that, that I can. Um, and if, if you'd love to, uh, I'd love if you walked us through kind of some of the transitions, because you've had uh, fairly significant brands uh, under your wing. Were, were, were those purposeful uh, in terms of navigating it? Or was it more just that uh, someone poached me or is it a random job that I applied for? Like, what, how are the, the transition points in order to kind of navigate that that marketing career? Yeah, so for me, it's always been uh, the discoverability of my portfolio has been very, very interesting. I would say my career progression has been nonlinear in the sense that I didn't do the conventional means to get those jobs. As an example, with Staples, they found my portfolio online for my video game blog and invited me to an interview I hadn't applied to. That was pretty Mm -hmm. crazy. Prior to joining KPMG, the then CMO had come out to a talk I was doing for free at a Toronto Public Library basement, approached me afterwards and said, I I understood very few words that you said, but I feel like our organization (laughs) needs to. Can you come in and talk? Little did I know what he meant was, can you come in for an interview? So I think this is probably a testament, like for most students, investing in yourself, investing in your online personal brands. And I know you're a master of this too. I would say that even when you don't necessarily know the destination, the journey is still worthwhile to take because you know it's going to pay off in many different ways if you just take the time to build a brand that people will take notice of. Yeah. And I, I by far don't, do not claim to be a master. I just uh, spend time on it uh, a little bit more than, than, than most people uh, and learning from the likes of you as, uh, as well. Um, but I love if you walk folks through uh, that blogging uh, video game website, right? So, I mean, some folks, teenagers may, may be shy about uh, putting their viewpoints out there and, and starting that. So obviously that we're going a little bit backwards, but yeah. that lend, it lended itself into a, a huge opportunity later on. Uh, what was the process like to, to start it? Is this a matter of like, yeah, I'm going to write and post it? Was there any hesitation at all or anything like that during the process? Yeah, I think so. I think at that point, there was far less scrutiny on, say, like a a free WordPress blog. So I I think I went into it with a lot of courage, but also pretty naive, just thinking not many people are going to read this thing. 
So I, I kind of had that, right? I went, okay, my mom and maybe five of her friends are going to read this. So I can say whatever <laughs> I want to say. And as long as I'm not cussing or, you know, doing anything to the detriment of my future candidacy, I should be okay. And then lo and behold, because, you know, you're talking transparently about things nobody else is, like, for example, price and why price exists on certain products, for example, uh, the value, the longevity of something. And you're taking this weird spin that nobody else kind of is. I watched as my average readership would just kind of grow and more importantly, the attachment with these people. So it wasn't just that you'd stop in my blog and I would never see you again. I would see through deep analytics that typically people started to trust me. They would visit the blog. They would visit the contact me. They would send me a nice note. They'd follow me on Twitter. They'd follow me on Facebook. And I mean, and those were the, the majors that existed at the time. I, I okay. noticed, I said, there's got to be something to this that establishing trust has clearly been the critical to the come up of this blog, which I think is still true today. Yeah, that's amazing. And for those that are aspiring to, to start something, I, I love you walk us through kind of the, the thinking process or, or the um, emotions of like, you, you post your first blog, you hope mom and, and maybe a few relatives are gonna uh, read it. And then uh, was it like an instant success and you had like thousands, hundreds of thousands of people reading it or or what kind of kept you going in order to, to post the next? Was it was it like a labor of love or something like that? Like how, how does someone translate something that they, this idea that they want and, and put into reality? Yeah, so it was, it was my passion and that's why I did it. By no means yeah. was it like you write an article and oh my gosh, I'm now viral, right? I'm on the front page of Forbes. <laughs> I think it was yeah. probably the first 16 to 20 articles had single digit views. And part of that was also me just learning the craft, learning that it's not enough for me to just write something or film something and put it out there. You need That's like when we think about the pie in terms of just successful content strategies, content creation is maybe half the pie. We have to market our right. marketing in order to be successful, right? So that was something that I was learning the hard way because I was writing and failing and nobody was seeing it. And then slowly I started to change the overall weightage of that pie. I'd spend more time talking about the importance, the why, as you always put it, of why, you know, I felt this was something I needed to write about. And I realized that on Twitter in particular, that really resonated with people. They didn't care so much what the price was, but if there was a story around how things were priced, they were mm. intrigued enough to read my stuff. That's awesome. So that just goes to show how an early investment in a passion, something where you're doing it not because you want uh, views or likes or whatever, but because you know what, I think the information needs to be shared. People need to know about this. And, and I'm, I learned it myself. So why not get other people uh, that leads to future jobs, future opportunities late, later, later on. Uh, and, and I'd love if you walk us through kind of the, the starting to get into the later journeys of yours, where you've had some folks come in, you, you did a talk now do this for our organization, that sort of thing. And then up to kind of current state. So I think you did uh, a stint at like, the Toronto star and then, and then now yeah. KPMG. So what was that journey like? Yeah. So I think uh, for me, when I look at my career and what most people I'd say know me for is that I've been the first dedicated resource to social media at a number of very large companies, either in Canada or internationally. So most notably Staples Canada. I was one of uh, the Toronto Star digital strategists during the whole migration from print to online. And then mm -hmm. I did build um, at KPMG the social program from the ground up where I still am eight years later because there's still so much work to do. That, that's awesome. And for those, were they all... Uh someone identified you and kind of brought you in or were there were there kind of like strategic moves on your side to say hey i really want to work for this organization yeah no absolutely so in the in the case of staples we talked about it there was discoverability yeah. through my video game blog in the case of toronto star it was somebody who reached out to me on linkedin because of an article i had written and in the case of kpmg okay. it was the cmo coming and seeing me speak for free in a toronto uh, public library basement so 
none of them were conventional applications as you would probably imagine. And a lot of the times now too, when we are having more senior conversations around roles and responsibilities, it's, it's by no means applying. I'm not looking, right? I love where I, yeah. where I work, what the work that I do. It's people who reach out with a business problem usually. And they say, how would you navigate this, right? And that, that yeah. usually leads us to having a more fulsome discussion. That's awesome. So that's chalking up another one to, to networking. And networking yeah. happens in, in many different forms where it's not just like uh, cold calling someone on LinkedIn and, and messaging them. It could also be like being out there, uh, sh sharing your views on, on video games or, or doing a talk uh, at, at a library. But and anything where you can get in front of, of people, um, then, then it can definitely uh, be an, an option for an opportunity. Now, you, you can't guarantee that every single one of them will turn into something because there has to be some substance to this. And sometimes it's a timing thing as well, because if you did it now, it's probably not going to be as effective than, than when you did it. Um, but at least they're, uh, putting yourself out there can, can be um, a start of it. And I'd love if you talked a little bit about uh, the book because we obviously connected on, on, on that before. So uh, what was what was the, the thought and process? Were you always thinking that you were going to be a writer at a young age or it, it didn't seem like that crept into anything? But what was kind of the, the genesis? Like, you know what? I need to write a book. <laughs> How did that yeah. happen? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously somebody who wrote a blog and wrote over, you know, 250 entries over the course of, you know, the three years before I sold it, writing was one of my passions, as was video mm -hmm. games. And that's like that intersection for me where passion meets aptitude. And for students, like, please remember this, like, where passion meets aptitude, that cro that aptitude, that cross section is a beautiful place to to live, mm -hmm. to work and to play. Uh, many times when I do my work, I don't even feel like I'm working. And that's that's a great feeling. So what happened was when the pandemic hit, I basically opened my bucket list and I just had a sulk fest. I looked at it and I said, I can't go to Japan. I can't go to the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Like these were actual things on my list. And I, okay. I can't jump out of a plane. And I looked towards the bottom of the list. And one of the things I had there was write a book. Truthfully, mm -hmm. that was something that I thought about for the twilight of my career that would, you know, kind of summarize all of the learnings. But I looked at it and I said, as much as the pandemic has taken from us, the one thing it's given is an abundance of time. So this may be a now or never scenario. I should at least try to put pen to paper so I started working on it then, and 18 months later, uh, we were able to, to get it out. That's awesome. And if you don't mind sharing a little bit, what was like the, it was it just a literal, like, I, I made a decision to start, and then I, I wrote it out, even though it took 18 months? Or what was like the, the, the few hurdles or, or uh, triumphs along the way of writing the book? Yeah, so I reached out to a, a fellow author. Um, he was a good friend of mine. His name is Steve Dangle. He's one of the top Leaf bloggers uh, in, in Toronto. And I said, I think I'm writing a book. And I'll never forget his knee-jerk reaction to me was, well, why are you writing a book? Do you have something that's worth <laughs> saying? That was, that was the question he asked me. And for a guy I've known my whole life, I felt like he was really probing with that question. So when I sat down to write, I, I remembered that question. I said, well, what do you have that's really worth saying? And there was one mm -hmm. story that came to mind. And then there were two stories that came to mind. And then the whole thing sort of started to snowball. And I said, okay, let me just take this in stride. Let's start with an outline of what this could be. And then I, I really kind of hammered at that draft systematically. And I wrote 60 chapters over the course of almost two years. And uh, we chose 18 anecdotes for the final book that fit the, the theme of personal branding through storytelling. That's amazing. And hopefully people will pick up a copy off of uh, Amazon or other uh, retailers, that sort of thing. Uh, and then you mentioned in your intro that you also recently did a TED Talk. So, so walk us through kind of the process to, to landing that, that achievement. Oh my gosh. So it's rigorous. I think if anybody aspires to do a, a TED talk, it's a, a wonderful experience, but do not underestimate the amount of work that goes into it. You do essentially apply an audition for a TED talk. 
you do write a script that is then scrutinized by the, uh, you know, the TED uh, presenting body, whoever, you know, is essentially the one who is hosting your TED talk. And I worked with my speaking coaches and the organizing committee for four months before actually taking stage. So there are a lot of people involved. It's a major commitment in your life. Um, I think it went really well, but you'll all be the judge of that. I'm so excited to share it when it's when it's out later this month. That's amazing. And we'll definitely uh, connect uh, and put yeah. links to that in, in the show notes um, and maybe do a deep dive because there's a whole bunch of things where we can kind of walk through like all, all the details of, of the book, the, the TED Talk, and, and obviously a lot of the other things that you've done. But if you were to highlight a couple of the swike, the stuff I wish I knew earlier, if you could go back in time and, and help young Adam uh, during his, his more challenging times, what are some of the things, maybe the top two or three that you would share with uh, young Ad Adam? Okay, I think you asked me this very early on in our friendship. So I, I've had my answer prepared for some time. But and it took a lot of introspection to just kind of arrive at this. But I think the number one thing was that because I was so goal oriented, because I was so hardworking, I was fixated, even obsessed on my destination, so much so that I didn't enjoy the journey along the way at times. And mm. I think that's a very, very critical thing for students. As much as you're working towards something, and you have your eye on the prize, it does not mean that you cannot also enjoy where you are right now. Because one of those first things I thought of, especially entering the workforce was, oh gosh, I miss school. <laughs> because that was such a <laughs> wonderful time in my life. And I think I probably left something on the table in terms of how much I allowed myself to enjoy it. Sounds good. And anything that you learn from kind of the, the, the more later years in, in terms of uh, the, the speaking, the author part or uh, what have you, uh, I was reminded in, in what you said earlier about uh, the intersection between like being good at and what you love. That's the, the there's a model called the Ikigai, which is uh, uh, four concentric circles uh, that basically one of them is uh, what you're good at, what you love. So those are the two that, that you mentioned. And then what the world needs and what the world will pay for. Right. And, and I love it's it. not necessarily that you want to get into the dead center circle, but as close as you can, that'll often help you uh, navigating yourself. But are there any things and not necessarily pointing to, to that uh, part of it, but is there anything that you learned through the speaking, through the, through the writing, through uh, any of the other components that you want to share with uh, young Adam? <laughs> Definitely. I think, you know, um, and this, this really came to light when I was on the book tour and I met a lot of young adults and they said, you wrote a book, like, how do you write a book? And I realized that their mentality was that they were sitting down thinking that I had done this enormous thing front to back in one stretch. And truthfully, it wasn't that I had done that. And as I said, you know, 18 months, what I was doing was chipping away at my overarching goal systematically day by day, right? So the, essentially, when you make these small efforts, you get the benefit of compound over time. And when I tasked myself with just putting in a little bit of effort every day, what I found was when I actually put myself in the seat, when I took the time to open up Microsoft Word, when I did my pre-reading and put on the music, all of a sudden, I don't want to do the minimum anymore. I did all this pre-work, yeah. right? I want to actually sit and get a little bit more accomplished now that I'm here. It's kind of like once you get to the gym and you change into your, your change clothes, even if you told yourself to get there, I just want to do one set, one rep you're probably going to do a little bit more because you've done so much to prepare for that moment. For sure. And that's a fairly common habit hack if folks haven't heard about it, where whatever you want to do, break it down to the first smallest step. And then eventually you, you'll well, hopefully do even more because like if, if you want to read a book, uh, 
buy a book <laughs> or even get a book, put it on your nightstand, uh, read the first word, that sort of thing, the, the small step. Uh, I'm reminded that that quote, uh, every journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step or something. Mm, to that effect. Yes. So that's definitely uh, something that's relevant there. So uh, th thanks, Adam, so much for, for sharing your story. I'm, hopefully we'll have you back for a deep dive in some of the other topics, because I'm sure there's a lot that we can talk about. But uh, are there any kind of future aspirations folks can look forward to uh, hearing about? And, and where can folks start uh, connecting with you and learn more about you? Yeah, so I'm I'm obviously very big on LinkedIn, given the nature of my job. That is my preferred place. But I'm at Adam Rodericks on everything, uh, www.adamrodericks.com. And I have to, I, I would be remiss if I didn't just pay some, some homage to our humble host here, because you do something that I think nobody else does. And I say this in a, I have about 6,000 connections on LinkedIn. I don't say that like boastfully. I mean, nobody else does this on a network of that size, which is you make a habit of reaching out, not just to connect, but you always ask me this one question, which is, can I be of any service to you? Can I help you in any way? You, like that is one thing I, I've read that message on my phone at times when I didn't need help. I've read it at times when I did need help. And I remember staring at that and saying, he is so special for, because I know it's genuine too. And when I was writing the book and I actually did need help, you were one of the people I did reach out to. And I said, I have no idea how to go find a publisher. And you were so giving of your time Ultimately, I, we did go with the same the same publisher, and I, I took a lot mm -hmm. of your advice. I think everybody should be as blessed as I was to have somebody who can step into this informal mentorship role and be so willing to be giving of their time. So thank you for just doing that and doing this. Well, I appreciate that and definitely receive it. And uh, no, it's it's kind of a labor of love. It's it's the adage like uh, I think Gandhi said it: "Be the change you want to see in the world." So I uh, ask uh, for. Uh, if any, if I can be of help in, in the hope that at some point someone will help me in return. But uh, I, I'm really happy that we were able to connect and have a lot more uh, great things in store, I'm sure. So uh, we'll definitely link, link everything in the show notes and uh, hopefully we'll have you back for another episode. So thanks so much, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at LukiDanu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.